Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you this morning. It's wonderful to be here. I love Pastor Jeff. Do you love Pastor Jeff? I love him. <clears throat> what a wonderful, wonderful pastor you have. And I just met Brandy this morning, but what a great couple. Uh, pastor Jeff, I don't just love Jeff, I like Pastor Jeff. He is just one of the most enjoyable people to be around, but I just have such admiration for what you guys have done here and for you guys in building this church. Congratulations on such a beautiful, beautiful church, such an important area of the city. And so, you know, I just hope everything and pray everything great for you guys. I know you'll continue to grow, but thank you for allowing me to be here today and being a part of your services. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter five, uh, I want to bring a message on marriage and this message is called God's perfect plan for marriage. I want you to know that God has a perfect plan for marriage and I want you to know that you have a 100% chance of success in marriage. Now you may have heard someone tell you that you wouldn't make it in marriage or that you had a 50% chance. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage when you do it God's way. God invented marriage. God created marriage. It was not created by a lawyer, a legislature, a government, or a lonely Neanderthal. It was created by God himself. And God gave us instructions in the Bible that tell us his perfect plan for marriage. God would never create anything to harm us. God would never create anything that would fail. Everything that God creates is perfect, including marriage. The reason that marriage doesn't work for our society anymore is because we've thrown away the Bible. And when you throw away the Bible, you just threw away the instruction manual. When we return to the Bible and do what things the way the Bible tells us to do, we're going to succeed. My wife and I, we've been married 44 years next week. I just remembered in the first service that this was my anniversary next week. So thank you all for keeping me from getting killed. My anniversary is next week, 44 years. Thank you. And after several years of marriage, we were on the brink of divorce. I was a horrible husband, didn't understand anything about marriage. God saved our marriage, and that's where our marriage ministry came from. And the Lord began to tell me about marriage. The Lord just began to give me insight into uh, the marriage relationship, and everything that I do is based on what the Lord has taught me. Ephesians 5 is the most revelatory text on earth concerning marriage. If you want to understand marriage, this is the place you come to understand marriage. The problem with Ephesians 5 is Christians don't like it. That's a problem. Uh, there are two scriptures I think that are most despised in the Bible. The first is Malachi 3 that talks about tithing. I think that's the one we struggle with the most. The second one's Ephesians 5. And the reason I say this in Ephesians 5 is being a marriage counselor for 35 years, I have never, I've never had a couple in counseling and I read them Ephesians 5 and they enjoyed it. I've never had a, a thank you. Uh, I've never had anybody say, well, that just blesses me, Pastor Jimmy. I'm going to run home and do that. Uh, people struggle with this. People struggle with this a lot, but it's God's only plan. There is no plan B because plan A is perfect. And so I'm gonna, we're going to read this uh, in Ephesians 5, and then I want to explain to you why this is God's perfect plan and why this will work for you 100% of the time and allow you to have a 100% chance of success in marriage. Ephesians 5, we're going to begin with verse 21, which is an incomplete sentence, but it's a very important incomplete sentence that I'll talk about more in just a few minutes. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's the incomplete sentence. Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ, is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, as I said, we, we struggle with this in, you know, talking to many Christians over the years and counseling many Christians. There are two common responses that people have to Ephesians 5. The first is we really like what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. And that should tell us something. Every, every man dreams of having a submissive wife. And, you know, when it says, wives, submit to your husband as the Lord, men are like, yes, I want one of those. Can I trade mine in now on one of those? Okay. okay. So the women read about having a husband who lays his life down and nourishes and cherishes. And she says, absolutely, that's what I want. But she might struggle with the concept, though, of submitting the way the Bible says here. And so we like what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. And the second response is we don't want to go first. We don't want to be the first one to do it. Women say something like, well, I would, I would respect him like the Lord if he acted anything remotely like Jesus. He acts more like the devil. It would only encourage him if I respected him. And I am on a mission from God to keep this man humble. So I've got to, I've got to keep that in mind. Men say, if I show, you don't understand, you don't understand my wife, Jimmy. If I show her any weakness at all, I'll be doing housework all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub. This woman will control my life if I show her any weakness. So we fear it. There is no plan B. God created marriage. He created a perfect plan. This is his perfect plan. And when we do this, it works 100% of the time. So let me talk about the brilliance of the roles of Ephesians 5. I want to just explain why this is brilliant. It's perfect. And it works all the time. Number one, the roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open our, their hearts to us. Intimacy is created by opening our hearts to each other. And we'll never open our hearts to each other while we're offending each other and wounding each other. In order to open our hearts and be intimate, we have to trust. But Ephesians 5 literally makes us more attractive to our spouse and causes the environment that opens up to intimacy. So let me talk about men and women for just a minute. Let me begin with men. The number one need of a man is honor and respect. You'll hear me say that several times through this message. So Ephesians 5 tells a woman to respect her husband just as she would respect Jesus. That's the standard. The way you would respect the Lord, that's the way you would respect your husband. 1 Peter 3. Uh, t says the same thing, just in a different way. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. 
when they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Do not let your ornament be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be in the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Now, remember the incomplete sentence that we read earlier that says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, here's how to submit. Husbands, here's how to submit. So I want to go back. I want to say something because... When you read the word submissive, wives submit to your husband, I understand the, the word submissive can kind of have an effect on women, that it kind of grates on you. So I want to say something. We are supposed to submit to one another in marriage. Marriage is a, a, an equal relationship. Men are not over women, and women are not over men. In Genesis 1 and 2, when God created marriage, there is never a reference to Adam being over Eve or Eve being over Adam. The only reference to dominance is in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, when God cursed Eve and said, now you're going to want to dominate your husband, but he's going to dominate you. In other words, there's going to be a fight for control now that you're fallen. Before you sinned, you were partners. Now you're going to vie for control. Marriage is an equal relationship. Karen and I never talk about who the boss is in our relationship because Jesus Christ is the boss of our relationship. Everything is submitted to him. We are partners. We make our decisions together. We talk. We pray. We don't make each other pay a price for saying the truth. So I'm saying for all the ladies here, when the Bible is saying be submissive, it's an attitude. Men and women are both supposed to be humble and submitted to one another according to Ephesians 5. This is an attitude. And here's what it's saying in 1 Peter 3. Your husband is doing something wrong. This is being addressed to a wife whose husband is being disobedient to the word. Be submissive to your own husband so that even if some are disobedient to the word, they may be one without words as they observe your pure, respectful behavior. In other words, the promise here is respect is so powerful to a man, we will change our behavior for it. You become more attractive. This is what it's saying. Don't just be attractive on the outside. Don't just let your ornament be merely external. The women are gorgeous. You're, you're, you're beautiful. God made you that way. Let your attractiveness also be on the inside with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let me say this now. So you're your husband's equal. You can say anything you want to say to your husband. Okay? But the question is, who's the enforcer? You are the Holy Spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit is not a mousy, beaten down woman. Because I know... When women read that, that gentle and quiet, some women say, you know, Jimmy, I'm just a strong person. I mean, I'm just not this little mousy little woman. I, God gave me a strong personality. I get that. I'm married to one of them. Okay. So I understand it. Gentle and quiet is not the spirit of a mousy beaten down woman. Gentle and quiet is the spirit of a woman who believes that her God is powerful enough to change her husband. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to tell you what I believe is true. And then I'm going to go get my prayer closet and I'm sticking Jesus on you. I don't have to nag you. I don't have to punish you. I don't have to be the enforcer because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. If what I'm saying is true, my God is big enough to change you. What am I going to do? I'm going to respect you. 
Because what I realize is I will have more influence over you and be more attractive to you and you will open your heart to me as I'm respecting you. This is what happens. Ephesians 5 literally makes us more attractive to our spouse and causes them to open their hearts to us and listen to what we have to say. So let me talk, I'm going to change over to men now because it's getting real tense in here. So number one need of a woman is security. Okay, so number one need of a man is honor. Women are very different. Number one need of a woman is to know that her needs are going to be cared for by a sacrificial sensitive man. Nothing makes a woman feel more secure than a sacrificial, selfless man. Nothing makes a woman feel more insecure than a selfish, detached man. And so security is a woman's number one need. And interestingly, the Bible in Ephesians 5 tells men, you lay your life down for your wife, just like Jesus does, and you nourish and cherish her. So she's going to feel secure when you do what Ephesians 5 says, which makes you more attractive. And you say, well, is, can you prove that? Actually, I can prove it in research. This is a couple of studies here. One, the University of Washington and other places ask women, when is your husband most attractive to you? Always at the top of the list, toward the top of the list, women say, my husband is most attractive to me when he's doing housework. <laughs> when is your husband most attractive to you? I, I think he's a hunk when he's doing housework. Yeah, that's what they say. Then they studied the effects of male sweat on women. University of Pennsylvania, University of California, this has been replicated several times. And University of Pennsylvania took, uh, they wired women up so that they could physiologically register the effects of women when they were under the uh, male sweat. So they took male sweat and they applied it to these women's upper lips. Now that grosses women out. They didn't tell them it was male sweat. They told them it was a household product they were testing. Now later when the women found out it was male sweat, some researchers died. And, uh, but we appreciate their sacrifice. We really do. So listen, and every time they study the effects of male sweat on women, here's what they find. When women are under the influence of male sweat, they're happy, they relax, and they get romantic. So let's review. So they asked women, when is your husband most attractive to you when he's doing housework? Then they studied the influence of male sweat on women. Very, very positive. And I want to give the interpretation of that to all the husbands here. Listen, you're just a clean house away from the night of your dreams. You go clean the house, walk by, let her smell you, go back and clean some more. And Pastor Jeff, they all need to give more this morning in the offering because that was worth a whole lot right there, I'm telling you. Isn't it amazing, isn't it wonderful, wonderful that the Bible is not a ball and chain that puts us into servitude. The Bible is the key to our spouse's heart. When you're doing what the Bible tells you to do, it literally makes you more attractive to each other and it causes you to be friends. It causes you to trust each other. It causes you to open your hearts to one another. So when women are honoring and when men are sacrificial, it causes us to be more attractive. The second reason that the roles in Ephesians 5 are perfect and brilliant is they release the potential in both spouses. We both arrive at our ultimate potential if we both do what this says. So let me give you an example. God created everything he created in Genesis 1, and he looked at uh, everything he created, and he said it was very good, except for one thing. In Genesis 2.18, he saw a man by himself, and he said, that's not good. 
It's not good for man to be alone. See, Adam could not fulfill his potential without Eve. God created Eve so he could fulfill his potential. And of course, Adam was there so Eve could fulfill her potential. So let me use a little research again. A 48-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. Men are profoundly better off with a woman in their lives. I've had a few amens by very smart men. That was a point scoring opportunity. <laughs> men are profoundly better off with a woman in their lives. <laughs> I'm up here trying. I'm trying to get you guys some points. You're just not taking them. Okay, so, so let me talk about this for just a minute. So God's role for men, according to Ephesians 5.29, is that we would nourish and cherish our wives. Those are farming terms. Those are agricultural terms. The word nourish means to feed to maturity. As a husband, I'm growing a wife. My job is to feed her so that she becomes everything that God created her and her mother's womb to accomplish. The word cherish means to keep warm. Literally, the way you would protect a plant from the freeze. I am, I am in Karen Evans' life to be God's partner, to bring her to her full potential and to protect her from anything that would harm her. That is why I'm in her life. Now, I come out of generations of male chauvinism in my family. My relatives, I'm telling you, are horrible male chauvinists. Many of them are, especially my grandfather and his family. My grandfather was my favorite person growing up. My grandmother just waited on my grandfather just hand and foot. And, and I watched that all my life and I thought, A, that's of God and B, I want one of those. And then I married Karen. And <laughs> I realized very quickly she didn't train very well. Now, my grandfather, literally, I mean, he just, he, this is the truth. He would be sitting like in the living room drinking coffee. And when he was out of coffee, he would thump his coffee cup. And my grandmother would jump up and get him more coffee. See, nonverbal commands is the ultimate in chauvinism. You don't even want to have to talk to him. You know, just nonverbal commands. So thumping his coffee cup, she gets up. Well, one day I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that on Karen. So I, re <laughs> I thumped my tea glass. She said, you better be killing the fly. <laughs> Kill you. She didn't train very well, as I said. So my concept, my concept of being a husband, this is the truth. When we got married, I was a male chauvinist pig idiot. And I felt like she's there for me. I'm Mr. Wonderful, and she's just blessed to get to come along for the ride. I had no concept that Karen was special to God. I had no concept that she had her own destiny. And that's why we almost divorced. I mean, I just, I was a horrible, horrible husband until I changed. And when I changed, I went to the Lord and I said, if you'll help me to understand what you created Karen to become, I'll be your partner. And what I said to Karen is this, if I don't get mine, you'll get yours. You're first. I will lay down my life to make sure that your life is everything that it should be. And to my death, I'll meet your needs with a good attitude and you'll never, ask, never have to ask twice. And I'm in it. Karen grew up in an environment of extreme emotional and verbal abuse. She had the worst self-esteem of any person I've ever met when we got married. And um, she believed she was ugly. If you've ever seen my wife on television, she's gorgeous. But she believed she was ugly. She believed that God couldn't love her. And she suffered from this horrible, you know, uh, self-esteem. 
And so when I changed and when I decided that I was going to be God's partner to bring Karen to her full potential, um, it was easy for me to see just how incredible she is. Now, Karen is very domestically centered. She loves being a mother. She loves being a grandmother. We have aging parents all in their late 80s that she cares for. She's great at that. She's great at caring for me. But if you've heard, and I've heard some of you ladies that I, I met here talk about Karen. How many of you like to hear Karen on TV? Anybody like to hear Karen on TV? She's, she's great. She's just wonderful. And um, so when God gave me the dreams for marriage today, I went to Karen and I said, you know, Karen, I, I, I have these dreams that God has given me about us having a, a marriage ministry. And Karen said, Jimmy, I think that's great. You should go do that. And I said, no, it's us. You know, I see a TV show and we're on there together. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not being on TV. She said, I don't look good enough to be on TV. And I'm, I can't talk. I don't want to be on TV. I said, well, first of all, Karen, you're beautiful. You're, God didn't make you good looking to keep you on radio. And, uh, you know, he, <laughs> you're, you're going to be on TV. You're, you're beautiful. And, um, and you're wise, Karen. You just have so much wisdom. You, you know, when you talk, you just, you know, you have so much to share. Well, it took a team of wild horses to get her on television the first time. We got her on camera, and when she sat down and she started talking, and now we can't shut the sister up. She's t <laughs> she, she has taken over. But I sit there, and I'll be on the show with her, and we'll be sitting there talking. We did a conference last weekend in Phoenix, and we on the platform, and she's sitting there talking. And I just look at Karen, and I just think, the male chauvinist pig that she married would have never let her do this. She would have been at home, beaten down, forgotten, and I would be out doing whatever I was doing. See, every man is going to stand before God one day and give an account for the most precious thing that God ever gave you, your wife. She is the most precious gift you've ever been given, and she is your number one stewardship. If I go back 40 years ago when our marriage was terrible, I would have been ashamed to stand in the presence of God and have to give an account for how I treated my wife. But today, I can stand before Jesus and I can say, I have been your partner to bring Karen Evans to her full potential. And today she is living and has become everything you created her in her mother's womb to become. Remember, what I'm saying here is, when you do what God tells you to do in your role, it releases the potential in your spouse. A good husband is a good greenhouse. A good husband creates a secure atmosphere of nurture, and in that atmosphere of security, women become. When they're being nourished and when they're being protected, they become. That's our role in the relationship. Well, let me change over to women. So the Bible tells women uh, to respect their husband. That's what Ephesians 5.33 says. Uh, Proverbs 31 is an interesting chapter that talks about the excellent wife. It says of the excellent wife, her husband is an elder in the gates of the city, but it attributes it to her, not him. She made her husband into an elder. Well, how did she do that? She treated him like an elder before he was an elder, and he arose to her level of respect. That's what men do. We become in an atmosphere of respect. And then it says of Sarah, 1 Peter 3 that we read earlier, Sarah uh, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, that's an interesting scripture. And I told Karen, I said, Karen, this is the 21st century. You don't have to call me Lord. <laughs> Something like, oh, great ones, fine with me. Because <laughs> I'm humble and I don't need all that. But listen to me. So some women would say, well, I could call Abraham Lord all day long. I mean, he's like the father of the faith. He's like this awesome man. Really? 
Did you know that he had a problem with fear and lying? Did you know on two occasions? The Bible says that uh, Sarah was beautiful of form and face. And on two occasions, kings came up to Abraham and said, who's that woman you're with? And he said, my sister. And on two occasions, kings took Sarah into their home to become their wife. And on two occasions, it took an act of God to keep bad things from happening and to return Sarah to Abraham. And she called him Lord. I'm just telling you something. He was not a perfect man. That's what I'm trying to say. But she respected him and he became Abraham. Men, women become in an atmosphere. Women become in an atmosphere of security. Men become in an atmosphere of respect. We love respect. We don't need the security stuff. We need respect. And I want to talk about cheerleaders because I don't know about women's sports, but the reason that men's sports have cheerleaders is because they make a difference. We love to have women shouting out nice things when we're out there competing in sports. Cheerleaders, there's you know, a lot of great things about cheerleaders, but two of the great things about cheerleaders is they celebrate everything. They, they, they're set on celebrate. When they come, they're just set on celebrate. They're going to celebrate. If there's nothing to celebrate, they'll make stuff up. We like that. Because sometimes there's nothing to celebrate. You just need to make, start making stuff up. Just stay, stay positive. The other thing we like about cheerleaders is they know how to say negative things in very positive ways. An example, football teams just getting slaughtered. Here's what cheerleaders do. Defense, defense, defense. Hold that line. Hold that line. That's what they do. They don't say, hey, you bunch of sissies, my grandmother could have caught him on her walker. What's wrong with you? We don't like that. We don't like that. So men will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man. We'll go do it again. We don't care about that security stuff. Give us some respect. We will do anything for respect. Again, I want to say, a Christian marriage is a win-win proposition no one loses. And when a man sacrificially loves his wife, she becomes, as he nourishes and cherishes her, as a woman respects her husband, he becomes, as she becomes his cheerleader. So somebody needs to say amen. This is God's perfect plan. Works 100% of the time. Number three, reason that this is God's perfect plan. The roles in Ephesians 5 disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriage. We have a sin nature, and our sin nature can't be successfully married to anybody. Our sin nature, according to Galatians 5, is outbursts of anger, decision, divisions, dissensions, factions, jealousy, envy, those types of things. That's our flesh. That's our fallen nature. It can't be married to anybody. It has to be crucified. The roles in Ephesians 5 crucify our sin nature. And by the way, when you're reading Ephesians 5 and that little something just kind of rises up in you, that's your sin nature. If your sin nature, if you cannot do Ephesians 5, your sin nature is controlling you. And it will keep you from ever being successful in relationships and especially in marriage. In order to be successfully married, we have to crucify our sin nature. So here's the question. Why are the roles in Ephesians 5 different for men and women? Let me give you the answer, because our sin nature is different. You say, wait a minute, Jimmy. The sin nature of all mankind is the same. Well, I understand that rebellion against God is our basic sin nature, according to Isaiah 53. But understand, relationally, we have a different sin nature. So let me give you an example. Eve 
Eve was the one that the devil talked to. The, the, the devil divides to conquer. He doesn't want to talk to both of us. He wants to talk to one of us. So the devil comes up and starts talking to Eve. Eve was not present when God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree. Adam was there before Eve. God commanded Adam. It was his responsibility to communicate that properly to Eve. Now, by the way, Adam's standing right here. The reason we know Adam's standing right there is she ate the fruit and handed it to him. Adam is standing right there. The other thing is they lived with God. They lived in the presence of God. God walked with them in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. So God, it was time of the day, the cool of the day, when the Lord was about to walk up. The reason we know that is because they ate the fruit and the Lord walked up. So when the devil is tempting Eve, all Eve had to say was, uh, well, that's interesting what you're saying. I mean, yeah, we're not supposed to, as far as I know, we're not supposed to eat that fruit. But you know something? I'm going to talk to Adam, and we're going to talk to God here in just a minute, and I'll get back to you. How many of you know she would have never eaten that fruit if she would have talked to Adam and talked to God? But she didn't. Relational independence is the sin nature of women. Believing that you don't need the input of a man is your sin nature. And so what Ephesians 5 does is it comes to relationally independent women and puts an extra layer of, of authority on you saying, don't act without your husband any more than you would act without Jesus. You listen to your husband. He has the other half of the brain and don't be independent. Don't act without him. You treat him like you would the Lord. Then it comes over to men. You say, well, what, 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 what's the sin nature of men? Well, so Adam, Adam's wife is standing right here talking to the devil. And he is telling her she needs to eat of the fruit that God has commanded them that they can't eat. You say, okay, well, well what was Adam's response to that? Here, here, here's Adam's response to that. <laughs> he was watching ESPN, Eden Sports Network. He is checked out. Relational apathy is the sin nature of men. We check out. We just don't care. We just, everything's falling apart around us and we just check out. We don't take our responsibility to do what God calls us to do. And by the way, in Genesis chapter one, God commanded Adam to subjugate the world and take dominion over it. Listen to what God said. You take dominion over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Did you know that God was giving him a heads up about what the devil is about to do? There's going to be a creeping thing that creeps up that you need to take dominion. And the word dominion in the Bible is a violent word. It means to subjugate by force. What God says to Adam is, man of God, I'm giving you authority over this whole world. And when anyone comes between you and what I'm telling you to do, you subjugate it by force. So here's Adam standing right here, a creeping thing, creeping on the earth, comes up trying to interfere with what God told them. And Adam is completely checked out. What Adam should have done is say, excuse me, honey, just a minute. I need to kill a snake. And if he'd have been a man of God, that's what he would have done but he was checked out. Ephesians 5 says twice as much to men as it does to women. Ephesians 5 comes to crucify our sin nature for independent women, an extra layer of authority, for irresponsible men, an extra layer of responsibility. You be a man of God. You lay your life down for your wife. 
you nourish her and cherish her just like you would your own body. And on and on and on. And if men will do what Ephesians 5 says, it will crucify our sin nature and we will be the man of God we're supposed to be in our homes. This crucifies our sin nature. Number four reason that Ephesians 5 is perfect is it sensitizes us to each other's most important needs. And it means that we meet each other's needs in marriage. And I've talked about the fact that uh, a man's most important need is honor and respect. A woman's most important need is security. But let me, let me go into a little bit more detail on that for just a minute as I close. The, a woman needs security. And for a woman to feel secure, her husband has to be sacrificial. Literally, nothing is more important than you. But let me talk about communication. You cannot communicate with your spouse until you get on their frequency. The frequency of women is security. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. It doesn't matter if you're talking about money or children or whatever you're talking about. The conversation, the topic of the conversation doesn't matter. It's the tone that matters. And every word a man says to a woman has to be encrypted with this. You come first. You come first. Nothing's more important than you. Anything else I'm doing, I'll say no to. I won't say no to you. I believe in you. You're worth fighting for. What is it that I can do for you? When a woman hears her husband speaking to her with softness and value, she relaxes, she opens her ears, and everything he says is going to be heard. When Karen and I first got married, you know, golf is what almost ended our marriage. I, I golfed all the time. I've golfed since I was 10 years old. Now, golf is of the Lord. I don't know if you know that, but it is of the Lord. <laughs> And uh, Karen would complain about me playing golf. And the night that we almost separated is I came home from playing golf and she challenged me on it. And I said, get out of here. Go, on, go back to your parents. You know, you don't, I was a male chauvinist pig. You don't look me in the eye and challenge me like that woman. You know? So she went to the bedroom and she was crying. And the Lord, that was the night that the Lord broke through my heart. And I went into the bedroom and I said, uh, Karen, I'm hanging up my golf clubs. That's when she knew that Jesus had, had a hold of my heart. I hung up my golf clothes for three years. I didn't play golf for three years. Now, before that, I would come home and Karen would challenge me on the golf. And here's what I would say to her. What's wrong with you? What, what, why, what problem do you have with me? Going, that my tone, what my tone was saying to her is, you're in my way. You're keeping me from doing what I want to do. And you don't come first. My friends come first. Golf comes first. I, I could never communicate. And I just thought she's crazy. She's just a crazy woman. She, you know, there's something wrong with her. There's certainly nothing wrong with me because I'm Mr. Wonderful. On the night that I changed and I went in and I said to Karen, I'm hanging up my golf clubs and you come first. That was the beginning of the healing in our relationship. And from that day forward, uh, the way I talked to Karen, she, I play golf to this day. About three years after I hung up my golf clubs, Karen walked up to me one day and said, why don't you go play golf? I think I was getting on her nerves or something. I was in the house too much. And I said, excuse me, I think I just heard Jesus. I saw an angel fly past. And Karen does not mind me playing golf or having fun. She minds it coming before her. And if right now, today, I said to her, Karen, I'm going to go play golf. And she said, I need you. I need you around here. I'd say, oh, okay, what? What can I do? The tone in my voice is very important because what I'm saying to her is, Karen, I'll give up anything to be with you. You're first. I'll sacrifice anything. Women hear through the filter of their deepest need, which is security. 
And whenever you're doing what Ephesians 5 says, not only are you meeting her most important need, everything you say is going to be heard because now you're on her frequency. Men are different. When a woman is speaking to her husband, he hears through the filter of respect. And so if you want to be able to speak successfully to your husband, you have to remember his most important need is not your most important need. His, his most important need is respect. So when you're talking to a man, here's what he needs to hear in your tone. Conversation can be about anything, but in your tone, here's what he needs to hear. You're a good man. And I believe in you. You have what it takes. And we're on the same team. And if he hears that tone in your voice, he'll do anything. That, that is the frequency that will allow him to hear. Disrespect of him jams his frequency. It's very difficult for us to hear when we're being disrespected. And I want to go back to this, and I want to say Ephesians 5 makes us attractive to each other. It releases the potential in both of us. It crucifies our sin natures, and it makes us sensitive to our spouses. This is God's perfect plan. There is no plan B because we don't need a plan B. Plan A is brilliant and it's perfect and it works a hundred percent of the time. If you're single and maybe you're afraid of marriage, don't you dare be afraid of marriage. It's perfect and God made it for you. Maybe you have failed in marriage before and you have some scars that keep you maybe from not wanting to go into it again. I'm saying to you, if you made mistakes or if something happened to you, it's because this wasn't happening. It's because you weren't following God's plan. And none of us know it until we're taught. I didn't know any of this until God just supernaturally revealed it to me. So there's no condemnation whatsoever. But here's what I'm saying. Our society has rejected the word of God. And what we see is marriage just being decimated in our society. It is time for the people of God to reclaim marriage and go back to the God's word and to do our marriages God's way. And if we will do that, my wife and I have been on both sides of this. I've been on the horrible side of pain, but now we have been married for 44 years in a wonderful, wonderful, blessed marriage. And it's not just us. Anyone can have it if we'll do it God's way. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Father, I just pray your blessing over these precious people and, and this wonderful church, blessed Milestone Church, and all that you're going to accomplish through this great church. But Lord, I pray right now for every single person here, single or divorced, and maybe they're afraid, maybe they're insecure, maybe they're wounded. But I pray that you would wash them in the washing of water with your word that is described in Ephesians 5. I pray that their wounds would be healed by your word. And I pray that they would remember from this day forward the standard of Ephesians 5 as being the standard that they live by and that they wait for as you bring the, the spouse you want for them. I pray for all the married couples here and I pray a blessing on their marriages. I pray healing on any marriages that need to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you healed Karen and me. I pray you would supernaturally heal these marriages of hurt, of anger, of misunderstanding. And I pray that the men would be sacrificial, nurturing men and I pray the women would be respectful, loving women. And that we would come together to be the couple that you've destined us to become. But I bless them, Lord, I pray 
that you would supernaturally touch them today and give them a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 